um, for our second Q&A, um, questions that Jesus asked, answers that people gave. And I think that's so important. If you were here last week, I'm sure you had a good time with us with that. Uh, gave you a little statistic, and this was fun remembering, um, and, and I want to make sure I get it right out of, uh, there were 307 different questions that Jesus asked, right, in the four Gospels. Okay, he was only asked 183, and out of the 183, he only answered three. So when you think about the Q&A sessions of Jesus Christ, all right, most of it was him asking questions to others. And today we're going to ask you another question. Last week it was, what are you looking for? This week, where is your faith? Okay, and uh, this, this can be really a, a heady subject because it's hard, heady, because sometimes it's hard to make it heavy in our hearts when we talk about our faith. And this is something that I want to, to seek to define for us this morning because I think it's very important uh, that we understand this more as we move along. Um, but before I define where is your faith and before we look into that situation, I want us to start at a place where we get to see how this was being played out in real life between Jesus and his 12 disciples, okay? And in this particular story, this is going to be one of two we're going to share today. This one is going to be with the 12, and then we're going to get more specific with it. Um, this specific story takes place on that mighty Sea of Galilee, right? You may have heard that before. And uh, let me ask, though, are anybody, any of you folks here, are you kind of like boat people? You like getting out on the water. Anybody like getting out on the water? Okay? Um, it's, it's, <laughs> Drew's like, I would like to get out on the water more, but I'm missing the boat, okay? Uh, and how, how many of you are missing the boat and would like to get out? <laughs> I see those hands, okay? And go and swim no more. Um, and I think about, you know, th this idea of, of, of this Sea of Galilee, and it takes me back to a story in my own life when we went on a family vacation. Uh, down to Lake Gaston. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it's down in Virginia. Went on this wonderful little family vacation that was on the cheap um, so that we could go kind of thing back then. You know how those days are sometimes. You're like, that is my current day. But we went down to stay at a friend's house, and we had uh, the opportunity to use their pontoon boat, all right? Anybody ever been on a pontoon before? You know, you're like, yes, I've, I sing the theme song nonstop. On the pond. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. A lot of you just really pictured yourself at the cove at Cheat Lake and all of those pontoons tied together. And wow, that's not a good sight sometimes, okay? So I've been there. We'll not go back, okay? I'm scarred. But I remember a good, you know, vision of a pontoon boat when we were down on Lake Gaston. And I remember... As we were just putting out together as a family, we were coming back into that cove, which was a good one. And I remember coming back into that cove, and, and as I was trying to, like, maneuver the, the boat, it, like, shut off, okay? It shut off, okay? So what do you feel when the engine stops on the boat? Does anybody get excited? Do you throw a party on the pontoon? No, you begin to have fear because you're like, how the world am I going to get out of this situation? It's not like you can get on the side and start swimming or something, okay? So here I am with the family uh, sitting out in this little area and, and having a little bit of fear because I'm wondering what's going to happen, all right? Um, I, I can work on things a little bit, but this is totally different. I'm, I'm a little scared at this point. I'm a little fearful because I'm wondering how in the world am I going to get back? Praise the Lord, it started once again and didn't have to get a tow or swim back. Anybody ever had a story like that before? Not fun. 
Well, see, we're going to go to a story with the disciples, I think, is, is kind of one of those stories that will really uh, make perfect sense to us in our own lives as well. As these guys were out on this Sea of Galilee, and let me give you some, some background on this Sea of Galilee. It was one that was about 13 miles long and about 7 wide, okay, and it's still there, okay? But it was 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, about 150 feet deep. This Sea of Galilee was known for its trade with fishermen. Um, it was known uh, to be um, a place where also sudden and yet violent storms could come out of nowhere because how it was, it was placed between the mountains there, okay? Um, so if we were to try to, to get a visual and understanding of what this Sea of Galilee would be like, it'd be like kind of that Lake Erie effect for us, that Erie effect, snow and storms that can come up on that sea. That's how we would understand it. So what we do is we see Jesus and the disciples in the boat together. You've probably heard this story about 1.5 million times growing up if you went to church. If not, it may be the first time for you, or you may be hearing it in a new light this time. But suddenly, and how many of you guys know, when you start out with this, Matthew 8, 23, uh, 24, after, uh, suddenly a furious storm. How many of you guys know that we don't typically plan for storms? Anybody plan for storms? My financial advisors in the bunch said, yes, we do, okay? Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Isn't that hilarious? I, don't, I mean, I love storms. Anybody love storms? I love going outside in a storm. I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing. But I do not want to be on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee when a storm comes up. And Jesus thinks, oh, that's no big deal. I'm just going to take a nap. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. We are going to die here. Do you think they were accurate in their assumption? You know, when you see this, these waves up and down and the boat is being shaken and stirred and broken almost, they got a little scared. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Here's where we see that question. Where is your faith? We've all said this to ourselves before. Where is my faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Imagine that. The, man, the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Faith. Sometimes this is an arbitrary, fleeting idea in our lives. When we go to define faith as a word, it's defined, we see this, as a noun. We see it as a noun. Uh, if if we, we look at the true definition, confidence or trust in a person or a thing, right now you are sitting your little hind parts in a little cushioned pew that you have confidence and trust in that it will not drop you on the floor. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes. Right now, my healthy figure is standing on a stage that I am counting to hold me up off of the ground enough so that I don't tragically fall two feet to my death and demise. Belief also that it's not based on proof, too. We think about this definition of faith. Sometimes it's just like, how do you even prove that? I don't know how you even get that. But also belief in God or in doctrines or teaching. See, faith is most understood as something that we possess, isn't it? It's like, I own these keys. 
These are my keys. I possess them. I have them in my, I'm holding them in my hand. These are my possession. But see, faith, you know, um, there is no verb form of it. And what us as believers try to achieve in our lives and our desire is to have faith in that verb form. And what does that even look like? It's really the capacity to believe, the capacity to trust. And if you look at faith in your life, this is why it's an active living thing. Have you noticed there have been times when your faith has been stronger or your faith has been weaker? Your faith has been stronger. Does that kind of look like waves, doesn't it? Been weaker. Stronger, weaker. It's not like, keys, I have. No, stronger, weaker. It's not like, pew, I have. No, stronger, it's a capacity. Weaker, it comes and goes in our lives. It's not a permanent fixture, and some days are better than others. And when we think of faith, faith is a relational thing. It's based out of our relationship with Jesus Christ between us and him. It's understood as a verb. So to the the early follower of Christ, this was something that was living and active. So we saw that big example of Jesus and the 12 on the water, and when he calms that storm, but I don't know about you, but I love to have a, an example of someone that I can most identify with, and that is for me someone like Peter. And Peter is this guy where, where Jesus, you know, does it once again with this whole storm of life thing to build up faith in Peter. And what we're going to, to look at today is Matthew 14, 22 through 23. Matthew 22 through 33, excuse me. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. What does that mean? Jesus was busy here with his disciples feeding the 5,000. But scripture tells us when we look deeper in this and understand it more that the women and children were not counted so it was about 10 to 15,000 people that he fed with five loaves two fishes remember that whole thing growing up fed multiplied for all of these people so if you put it in context it's like going to a basketball game at the wvu coliseum that seats 14,000 anybody ever been there you ever been in that place can you imagine somebody coming up in there okay with five pepperoni rolls and two hot dogs saying that everybody's going to eat today. Bon appetit. Can you imagine that? It just doesn't make sense. But yet Jesus does it with these pepperoni rolls and these hot, no, with these hot dogs. Jesus does it, okay? After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Okay, you always see this that Jesus after major events and things like this He would have to always get away and get back with his father I don't know about you guys, but he needed to be recharged if I was in a situation like this I would have to get somewhere to be by myself with God because I don't know about you But this would be overwhelming to me. Okay, so we see him He's he's dismissed them and he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray later that night He was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So we see that Jesus is by himself praying to the Father, 
okay? We see the boat that he placed the disciples in and told them to go across that Sea of Galilee had been buffeted, had been attacked, if you will, by these waves that was shaking it back and forth. And I think what's unique about this situation, and when we talk about faith, we see that Jesus doesn't respond automatically to the waves. He doesn't respond automatically and rush out to them. He allows some time to elapse between his, his time of dismissing them, the storm happening, and then him intervening. I think that's very important to think about, too, in our own lives. So there, there's a, a time, there is a, a, a distance between that, okay? So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, Walking on the lake. Does that, I mean, have you ever seen, has anybody ever tried to walk on water before? Have you ever tried, though? Have you ever tried? How long did you last, Drew? You didn't, exactly. You didn't have to answer me, okay? Uh, That was the rhetorical (laughs) question with the rhetorical answer. So you think about this. He comes out there walking on the water. And um, how many of you guys like to wake up early in the morning? You like to get up before the sun comes up, and you love to look outside and watch the deer frolic, you know, and the chipmunks, you know, and the whatever. You just like to watch all this life happen. God bless you, by the way, okay? It was dawn. Things aren't exactly clear yet. And as Jesus is walking on the water, these guys look over and be like, what in the world is happening I don't know about you guys, but if I was on Cheat Lake and it was uh, you know, early in the morning, maybe fished all night, and all of a sudden I look over and I see something walking toward me, I might get a little freaked out. Would anybody get freaked out with me if we were in the pond to, together? Okay, We would get freaked out. So how did they respond? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, all right, we'll get to that later as well, take courage, take courage, it's me, fools, it is I, who else is going to walk on water, come on, man, oh, hey, Jesus, you know, can you imagine this, this moment of realization that they're stupid in this, but it makes perfect sense at the same time. He said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Typical Peter response, okay? You may have that type of friend in life that's like Peter that that just likes to go over the top. Again, if you are going to do 10 push-ups, they're going to do 10,000 push-ups, right? If you're going to get this car, they're going to get that car that's exponentially nicer. If you're going to get this pair of shoes, they're going to get that. Do you have that friend in life? Don't don't look to your left or right because... Hopefully you brought them with you so they'll get saved today, okay? (sighs) Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Can't you picture him? I love it. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. Hmm. That's pretty unique. Two people walking on water when we didn't even see one before. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out as he was beginning to sink, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? There's the question. Where is your faith? And when they climbed to the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, 
Truly, you are the Son of God. Where is your faith? I don't think we're alone with the understanding that we all struggle with faith. I think that's universal. If you've lived longer than about five minutes and you're adolescent, right? Your teenage, your adult, young adult, your adult life does not matter. You have struggled with your faith. You've struggled to continue to believe when things become difficult, maybe even when things are good. But see, it is God's desire in all of these situations to grow our faith, to grow our belief in Him that He is able to see us through every single thing. <coughs> Excuse me. So this morning, what I want to do is take a look at a few things that it will take for us if we want to grow, if we must, if we need to grow in our faith, a few things that we have to do that we, we saw in Peter's life and how he responded to Christ. So the first thing is this. To grow in your faith, you must respond courageously. We joked about it already, but how Peter responded to Jesus. When the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified, thinking it was a ghost, filled with fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. And then Peter, in true Peter fashion, said, Lord, if it's you, make me walk on water too. Do you think that was stupid? Do you think that was crazy? Can you imagine the other guys in the boat? And what they're thinking as Peter courageously responds to Jesus with this type of response. If I saw this happen, I'd be like, this dude is at it again. Here he goes again. Tell me to come to you. Tell me to walk in your direction. But the question is, how do we typically respond to fear? How do you typically respond to fear? If somebody frightens me, I'm one of the people that would be like, I'm ready to punch. Is anybody else like that? You know what I'm talking about there? Uh, how many of you are the runners? You run from the fear. You know what I mean? You're just like, I'm out. You can get them, but you ain't getting me. You know what I'm saying? I'm out. All right? Uh, we all respond to fear differently, okay? And we see Peter here. We joke about how he responds. But how amazing is it that Peter responded with crazy courage to believe if Jesus was walking on water, I can too. If Jesus can do this, if he can do this, I can too. How do you think he came to this type of place in his mind? See, if you read in the Gospels, you see the background of the relationship with Jesus and his disciples. All of the miracles that were performed. As they listened in, as, as Jesus responded to people, because of your faith, you are healed. Because of your faith, this has happened. Because of your faith, this and that. And Peter has had a, a front row seat to watch these things unfold. And when you think about your life, it's easy to respond and courage when you have been encouraged by the one you're responding to. And that's what Jesus gave to him. The encouragement to respond courageously. He knew Jesus. When Jesus speaks, we have the opportunity to respond courageously. The second is this. To grow in your faith, you must learn to trust. Matthew 14, 29 and 30, we see this. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. I just wanted to, to think about that for just a moment. That even to step out on water, he had to step down from the boat. 
that would be scary enough in and of itself. Can you imagine that? Have you ever been up on a wall or something like that, and you're, you're, you're scared to jump down, so you, like, hold the top of the wall, and you, you scale your, yourself down, and you're, like, gripping all the way down, and it's really only three feet. But uh, you're gripping all the way down, and then all of a sudden you hit, ah, oh, this is good. Can you imagine what Peter felt like to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Maybe I put too much in there, but I see it. Stepping out of the boat to walk on water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. See, I don't think, I was joking about that, but I don't think Peter was so much looking like this as much as he was looking like this. Because to Peter, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that Jesus was a distance. At a distance, it didn't matter that he was in a boat. It didn't matter that he had to step down. It didn't mean, matter that he had to walk out. It mattered that he, need to get, he needed to get to Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this. When our gaze, our eyes are fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith, we have no problem walking on through around anything. But as soon as we begin to look and we see the wind, we see the wind. And uh, let me tell you this. We're, we're going to do a little experiment. How many of you guys used to love that in science class? We're going to do an experiment, okay? I'm going to throw water at you and see if you get wet, okay? Clint, it's going to be great. Just kidding. I didn't like that, professor. Okay? Um, they exist. Experiment. I'm going to blow out of my mouth, and hopefully no spit comes out. If it does, free baptism. But it, I'm going to blow out... And what you will do is probably see nothing at all unless there's particles and dust in the earth. Okay, you ready for this? It's really scientifically proven, amazing, WVU approved. <sighs> Did you see anything? No. Okay, so let's try another experiment. Let, let's put something out there that can receive the air. <sighs> Thank you. That'll be thirty-seven ninety-five each before you leave today. What are you talking about, Justin? See, Peter was looking at Jesus, intently stepping down out of the boat like, and beginning to walk. I was hoping I wouldn't fall. Beginning to walk toward Jesus, but as soon as he started to walk toward Jesus, it took just a second, and he looked to the side. And he didn't see the... He saw the waves, the effect of the wind. He saw the size of them. He saw how the water was beginning to foam. He saw how, it, you know, as he maybe looked back and saw the boat shaking again. It's like, oh, what did I do? Why did I get off the boat? What is wrong, you know? It's funny how it does not take much for us in this life to get our eyes off Jesus. We're supposed to have them fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith, but it doesn't take long for something to get our attention. And a lot of times it's not even the thing that's really, it's the effect of the thing. It's the collateral. And what he's challenging us to today is to learn to trust, to look deep in his eyes. And when you look in the eyes of Christ, you see the death and resurrected, the dead and resurrected Savior, and you see that you can trust him, that he won't fail you, that he won't let you down, that he won't leave you alone. Believing in Jesus keeps you in the boat. It's one thing to believe. Like, I'm in the boat, and I believe that dude is walking on water, and he is amazing. I've seen the miracles. I believe in him. It's a whole other to say, I trust him. 
and step out. Believing in him keeps you in the boat. Trusting Jesus makes you walk on water. To grow in your faith, the third thing is this. You must know when to call out. You must know when to call out. Matthew 14, 30, you see that. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid of it. Remember the effects. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. See, it's really easy when we think about that trust factor. You know, I'm sure Peter thought about it this way, uh, being an avid fisherman, being someone that was around water his whole life kind of thing, that he could swim well, he could fend for himself, he'll be fine if something happens, God forbid, Jesus there, that if I begin to sink, maybe I can swim, maybe I can get around it. But this was a different type of sinking that was happening with Peter. This was a sinking into like something called fear. And you know how it is sometimes with fear. It's like quicksand that grabs you and feels like it's pulling your feet, pulling your legs, pulling your torso, pulling your chest, and then all of a sudden, head below the surface. Peter knew that the only way he would be saved in this instance is if he called out to the one who could and would be able to save him. He knew that he couldn't save himself here. He couldn't walk on water on his own. He needed to keep his eyes fixed on the one who could keep him afloat, but also walking on water because he trusted him. you got to know when to call out. Come on. This is big. I think this is really for somebody. you got to know when you're drowning. Don't think you're just going to, I'll just bob up and swim away. you got to know when you're drowning in fear. you got to know when you're drowning in anxiety. you got to know when you're drowning in struggle. you got to know when you're drowning in, in, in not loneliness, but isolation. you got to know when you're going below the surface and you may not come back up from this one. you got to know. You can trust him. He'll pull you back up. It's funny, I think about that often. The, the, the stance that Jesus often has with us in life is that posture of him reaching out like this. And you may have that. Picture somebody in your mind. Picture like your mom or your, your best friend or whatever. You, you have like, maybe even on your phone, you have a caption of them, a picture that you have that pops up every time they call you. And that's how you see them. And when I think about Jesus, especially for me, because I can identify with Peter most days of my life, I'm really excited about doing the will of God, and, oh, it's going to be great, but then I fail. I fall short. And I picture Jesus always like, come on, son. Come on. Come on. Grabbing my hand. Saving me. I picture Jesus reaching down, and we lock eyes for the moment. He's like, okay, you trust me again. All right, come on. Come on. We're back. And I picture that for our lives, that so often we don't, we don't cry out. We don't cry out, Lord, save me. Sometimes we even cry out to a friend, save me. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can redeem you. He's the only one that can put you back on your feet when you're drowning in fear or whatever it may be, especially fear. Call out to the only one who can save you. And now we see the script flip. We see this question 
began to be asked. Worship team, you guys can make your way up this morning. In Matthew 14, 31, we see it happen. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Remember I told you about that posture of how Jesus has his hand out. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I think it's important that we take just a moment to talk about that word immediately. Because a lot of times we think about God, we think about Jesus, we think about the Holy Spirit of this magical being that's going to be like, Shing! Your wish is granted. Lord, I need a financial breakthrough. Shing! $47,000 wired to your account. Live happy. All relational status has been retrieved and made new. Have a good day. Do you feel like God immediately responds to your life sometimes, anytime? We have this thing called time that we've created, <laughs> that he exists outside of. And a lot of times we feel like Ching! is going to happen and immediately he's going to respond on our behalf. But I want to put something new in your, main, in your mind and your brain here for a moment to think about. What if, what if the, the, the miracle wasn't the immediate thing? What if the provision wasn't the immediate thing? What if Jesus Christ, God's Holy Spirit, was the immediate person who responds to your need? What if immediately you had peace, even though you're in the middle of a storm and you see the wind? What if immediately... Okay, all somehow, some way, some shape, some form that you're like, it's going to work out. What if immediately it's not Jesus pulling you up, but his spirit giving you peace until you feel him pull you up? That's hard for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? As a parent. There's times that I can't respond, and that's very hard to do. There's times that I don't right away rescue my children. But what's great about the lesson is that they know I will help them, but they also know that whatever I'm trying to teach them will be worth it. God is teaching us faith. Remember, Faith is, is an acting, it's a verb thing. It's not a noun, something we possess. It's something we have as a capacity, and it comes and goes. And I think about this, guys. There will always be a storm in your life, but if you choose, you will always see Jesus walking in the midst of it. Think about this. Jesus will walk through the storm to get to you. You're like, I don't see the immediate. Listen, he's coming. He's coming your way. He will challenge you to confront your fears as he shows up in the midst of that storm. Like, Peter, do you really trust me? Why do you not? Come on, Peter. Look in my eyes. Fix your gaze. Fix your eyes upon me. Do you trust me? What's even greater is that he will walk with you in your struggle, through your storm, because of his spirits within you. 
And after that question, the last thing that we need to, to camp on and finish with is to grow in your faith, you must let your struggle speak. This, this story was recorded in the Gospels, three of them, because they thought it was very important, this story, to make it to you today so that they remembered this specifically so that today you would see how Peter responded and so today that you could respond as well and that you could be courageous, that you could trust, that you could give it up to him so that you could allow your struggle to be real to someone else too so that they would not have to struggle in the same way. Let your struggle speak. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I think about this first service, but um, maybe, maybe Peter stepping out was actually the key to, to the storm actually calming down. And, and the, the struggle that he had was not just for him, but it was also for them. You get to hear, God bless you, week after week, encouragement from the Word of God. You come here as a consumer. You borrow my faith. You borrow the faith of those in Scripture. And then we leave. And the question I have, how real are we with others about what we fear? What we're scared of, what we're overwhelmed by, what, what grips us at night, what wakes us up in the middle of the night? How real are we with others about this struggle that we have? Peter <laughs> was dumb enough to step out so that others could witness what God coming through really looks like. And sometimes faith doesn't make sense. Sometimes it, all, it doesn't line up the way we expect. Sometimes that immediately uh, looks like His Holy Spirit giving you peace in the middle of the storm. Sometimes it doesn't even look like peace yet. It's just going off of, of who He's been before. But I want to challenge you to not let following Christ be a spectator sport, a consumer product that you have faith, remember, a product but let your active viable faith be something that, that yes, ebbs and flows in and out of your life but yes, will encourage those around you that when the storm rages you're standing on water It's not going to make sense to them. How are you still standing? How are you still making it? I know your history. I know your struggle. You've been honest with me about your struggle, and I appreciate that. But how are you doing it? It's by the grace of God. There's some days I don't feel like I want to get up. There's some days I don't even want to get out of bed. There's some days I don't want to smile at people because I know there will be a conversation. This isn't like me. I'm, I'm actually okay, so don't worry. <laughs> Sometimes there's confession in there, but I'm actually okay now, for now. I'll let you know when I'm messed up in the future, but I'm okay right now. It's beautiful because this is a safe place to not have it together for me, but also for you.
And what happens here has to translate out there. Why do you think we went to two services? To make space for your friends. People were getting uncomfortable. That's okay. People are really uncomfortable out there because they don't have answers. You do. Exercise your faith. Work it out. You don't have to have it figured out. Work it out. Look to the one who has everything in his hands for you. Look for the one that will immediately save you, even if it's by way of what he's done before in your mind or by his Holy Spirit dwelling richly within your life. Look to him. Where is your faith? I don't know. You might not even know right now, and that's okay. But you know where Jesus is. You know how to look toward him. You know how to keep your eyes fixed on him. You know what he's done for you. The facts say that. He died and rose again. The facts say that. All the other stuff is kind of hard. Give him a chance. Exercise. Get on the treadmill. You'll never know what it feels like to run a mile if you don't take two steps. Get on it. Where is your faith? You may not know, but that's okay. But you're going to learn today where you can walk toward it. So the number one response that we want to, to have from you today is for you to respond to what we believe is the most important decision you'll ever make. Every great thing has come out of this in my life. The wife I talk about, the children, the church, you know, uh, struggles, <laughs> they're even great because I found Jesus. He tempers all of it and makes it work out even when it's not working out. It's fine because I have him and he has me and he has forever. But make that decision to follow him. Because again, he predicted his resurrection and it happened. He's credible. Start there. And then we'll figure the rest out together. We want to journey with you. So even if, if by the end of this service as we stand to worship, if you make your way up, um, and don't be afraid of that, but if you make your way up, we'd love to pray with you and talk you through that. If you still have questions and would like to know more, you can fill out your Connect card where I'm interested in salvation, what have you. Head to the Connection Center afterward, drop that in a basket. Whatever that takes for us to help you start the journey. And then you can help others start the journey too. The first century church didn't have this. You realize that? They didn't even have this. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't write it down yet. But you know what they had? The resurrection. And they had the story of what Jesus did for them. And that's what you have too, if you choose. All right? So stand with me this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Close your eyes for just a moment. <clears throat> Lord, we say thank you. We say thank you that you are alive and well and living within us. And today, we desire the type of faith that in others' eyes may have made Peter look pretty stupid. But in your eyes, it made him shine. So much so that you would say, look, Peter, you're going to do great things to help me start this thing called the church. You're going to really make a difference. And Lord, you want people in this room to really make a difference. You want people tuning in online to really make a difference. 
And Lord, as we give you control of our lives, we know that you are the difference maker. We give ourselves to you first and foremost. We repent, which means we turn from the direction we were going from, to our own selfish desires and life. Lord, we all have that to you. We ask for forgiveness of any sin that may have separated us from you, and we walk with you. We love you, Lord. And we have reason to worship today. Because we believe in this moment that you will strip away the fear that is, has gripped us so heavily, the anxiety, whatever that is, Lord, and we will be complete in you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.